Hello, I'm Dee Hubey, and you're listening to a special edition of The Real Deal with Dee and Denise. But on this episode, you're getting The Real Deal for me, Dee. This episode was recorded on October 21st, 2023. While things may have developed by the time you hear this, the broader history and context will remain just as pertinent. Today, I will cover the deal with the latest evolution in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the question of Palestine. Denise will be back with us next time for our regular episodes. But right now, I want to delve deep into the history and developing crisis in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict following the horrific events on Saturday, October 7th, 2023. This conflict's history is long and intricate, with tensions flaring over the century. The recent large-scale escalation began with an unprecedented terrorist attack by radical Hamas terrorists leading Israel to declare war. We've seen the consequences of large-scale military responses, like in the aftermath of 9-11. Our responses often come at staggering costs to both lives and resources, but then achieving little in the end. The toll is heartbreaking, with casualties on both sides. The issue is polarizing, but empathy and a commitment to ending violence are important to keep at the forefront of our approach to the issue. The immense suffering makes it critical to promote dialogue, negotiation, and humanitarian assistance. The toll of innocent human suffering in both Israel and Palestine will be immeasurable. In the time since Israel's declaration of war, more than 4,000 Palestinians have been killed in Gazan air and artillery strikes unleashed by the Israeli military response. Israeli troops are also massing along the Gaza boundary while Palestinians brace themselves for a major ground operation. At the same time, Israel's total blockade on the territory, which has been in place for at least 16 years, restricts movement to and from the Gaza Strip, denying it food, fuel, and other essentials. This topic requires extensive discussion, but we'll provide a historical backdrop before delving more deeply into these recent events. Learning from history is key to avoiding repeating the same mistakes. As we discuss this complex issue, remember that terrorism and murder can never be justified. Before we embark on this journey through the history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I wanna take a moment to express my deepest sympathies and solidarity with the innocent people and civilians caught in the crossfire. Those who know me understand that I've been vocal about the need to free Palestine. But let me be clear, this means advocating for the freedom of the innocent Palestinian people and civilians. It does not mean condoning, commending, or in any way supporting the violent terrorism against innocent Israelis. What Hamas is doing is terroristic, monstrous, and inexcusable. Of that, there is no question. There is never a justification for the torture, terror, and killing of innocent people. Period. Period. If we are to condemn violence and terrorism and gross violations of human rights, as we all should, it must be done universally 
without selectivity or hypocrisy. We must call it out in all of its forms, all of the time, every time. In 2021, I strongly condemned Israel's actions. And now, unequivocally and in no uncertain terms, I condemn Hamas and its attack on innocent people and Israelis. But amidst this tragedy and sorrow, it is vital that we approach this issue analytically and critically rather than reacting impulsively. Something I think people need to become more comfortable with is the understanding that two opposing realities can be true simultaneously. And though that may be understandably difficult, especially for such a deeply rooted and sensitive topic as this, this complexity is why it's so crucial to think deeply about these intricacies with the due diligence they deserve. Without doing so, we run the risk of acting impulsively, short-sightedly, or in such a way that ultimately impedes our long-term goals. To avoid that, we must understand the broader history and context in order to untangle the causes from the symptoms. Nothing happens in a vacuum. And while Hamas's actions are inexcusable, seeking an explanation should not be conflated or confused with justification. Seeking an explanation does not, will not, and could never justify terrorism. But an understanding of the deep-seated causes and course of events that led us here can help us to inform the best possible solutions. But if we are to devise lasting solutions that not only work, but that endure far beyond this attack in these regimes, then like I said, we must treat the cause at its root rather than temporarily relieve its symptoms. Failing to address an issue at its core allows its symptoms to persist and worsen over time, unless and until that underlying cause is tackled. Generally speaking, I tend to approach most topics with a harm reduction mindset. Even if we can't stop the problem entirely, we should at least aim to reduce and minimize the harm, suffering, and other negative consequences to the lowest possible levels for all parties involved. Positive impacts can still be made, even when some, for whatever reason, continue to engage in actions that bring harm. In the face of this tragedy, we must be able to take a step back and recognize a fundamental principle, the sanctity of life. The Israeli people, the Palestinian people, they share this common thread. Both have a right to exist in safety and peace free from the shackles of violence and fear. The killing, wounding, depriving, or harming of innocent civilians, regardless of their background, can never be justified or explained away as mere collateral damage. These are innocent people's lives, families, and communities that we are talking about. 
children who, who should be outside playing and laughing with their friends, parents who should be able to come home and hug their families without worrying if they are still alive or in one piece. These are people, all of these people, are people with dreams and hopes for a brighter future. And that is what is at the core of my message. It's the duty of all of us to seek a peaceful resolution that safeguards the lives of the innocent people caught in the crossfire of the region. This is a call for dialogue, understanding, and empathy where every life is cherished and the collective aspiration is a world where peace prevails. As we search for solutions, understanding history and the broader context can help us avoid the repetition of past mistakes. As the old adage goes, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. All right, on that note, let's discuss the deal with this history. To fully unpack this issue, we'd need at least an episode per conflict. But today, we'll provide a condensed historical background before circling back to the recent events. Please remember, this is an extraordinarily complex subject and will only scratch the surface today. But you can find a full list of sources and references in the episode description to delve deeper on your own. Feel free to leave a like or a comment. We'd love to hear your thoughts and answer any outstanding questions you may have. And as a quick aside, I will do my best with the pronunciation, but if I get that or anything else wrong, I thank you in advance for letting me know so that I can remedy it if necessary. All right, so let's jump in. We'll start with a simplified historical context. In the early 20th century, the contemporary Israeli-Palestinian conflict emerged, rooted in competing claims to the land. On one side, there are Jewish aspirations for a national homeland after being exiled around 597 BCE. And on the other side, we have an Arab resistance asserting their own right to the territory as its now long-standing residence for over two millennia. Before we continue, let's ensure we're all on the same page. To set the stage, let's begin with some crucial definitions. Throughout this episode, we'll define essential terms and concepts as they emerge. All right, the Middle East. The Middle East is a strategically vital transcontinental region situated at the junction of Eastern Europe, Western Asia, and Northern Africa, known for its great cultural, historical, and geopolitical significance. It includes the territories of Palestine and countries such as Saudi Arabia, Iran, Turkey, Israel, Egypt, and many, many others. The region has been a focal point uh, for various conflicts and has substantial reserves of oil, making it a key player in the global economy. The Holy Land. The Holy Land refers to the sacred region encompassing Israel and Palestine, which holds profound religious significance for Jews, Christians, and Muslims alike, due to its association with various religious events and sites. Throughout the 20th century, the Holy Land has been a point of contention between Jewish and Arab national movements, leading to, as you'll see, cyclical periods of violence and, at times, full-scale warfare. 
Jerusalem. Jerusalem, located in the Holy Land, is one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. The city is a focal point in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with various proposals and negotiations regarding its status as both Israelis and Palestinians consider it their capital. Palestine. Palestine is a historical region in the Eastern Mediterranean encompassing parts of modern day Israel and the existing Palestinian territories. These territories include the Gaza Strip along the Mediterranean coast and the West Bank situated to the west of the Jordan River. However, the status and borders of Palestine have been the subjects of significant historical, political, and territorial disputes, making it a central focus of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Today's lines and borders largely reflect the outcomes of two major wars, one waged in 1948 and the other in 1967, both of which we'll dive deeper into momentarily. As a result, the term free Palestine is often associated with the aspirations of the Palestinian people to establish an independent state of their own in this area. Israel. Israel is a nation located in the Middle East established in 1948. It is the world's only Jewish state, more recently naming Jerusalem as its capital. Israel is situated to the east of the Mediterranean Sea and shares borders with several countries, including Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria. The country has a parliamentary democracy and is a prominent political and cultural hub in the region. Ethnic groups. Ethnic groups are large groups of people sharing ancestral, language, cultural, and or religious ties, forming a common identity. In some cases, ethnic groups identify with nationalist sentiments, even aspiring to become recognized nations, like the Kurds or the Palestinians. Jews. Jews, or the Jewish people, are a diverse ethnic and religious group united by a shared cultural and historical heritage. While Judaism is the core religion, not all Jews practice it. Some identify as Jews due to their ethnic or cultural connections, their historical heritage, or a sense of national identity tied to Israel. This multifaceted identity underscores the complexity of what it means to be Jewish. Palestinian. A Palestinian is someone who associates with or hails from the historical region between the Eastern Mediterranean Sea and the River Jordan, which was historically known as Palestine. While most Palestinians identify as Muslim, they form a diverse population that includes Arabs, Muslims, and Christians who share a common cultural and historical bond with the land. Their national identity goes beyond religious affiliations, emphasizing a broader Palestinian national identity rooted in a shared history and the aspiration for self-determination. In these ways, they are similar to Jews. The question of Palestine. The question of Palestine is another complex and multifaceted term used by the global community for over a century. And it refers to the ongoing political and territorial disputes concerning the land's borders and status. At its core, the question revolves around competing claims and aspirations for Israelis and Palestinians over the historic land of Palestine, 
which includes now modern-day Israel and the Palestinian territories, including the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Aside from statehood and sovereignty issues, the term also encompasses broader challenges and consequences, including the displacement of Palestinian refugees, the status of Jerusalem, border disputes, security concerns, and the quest for a peaceful resolution to the conflict. We'll soon delve into the intricacies of the question of Palestine to better understand its historical and contemporary dimensions. Gaza and the Gaza Strip. While they're often used interchangeably, Gaza refers to a city with cultural, economic, and political significance, while the Gaza Strip, which encompasses Gaza, refers to the coastal Palestinian territory along the Mediterranean Sea and shares a border with Egypt. More than 2 million Palestinians live in this small enclave, making it one of the most densely populated places on Earth. The West Bank. The West Bank, a region of the larger area, historically known as Palestine, is bounded by the River Jordan to the east and by Israel to the north, south, and west. It is home to a Palestinian majority population, but it also contains Israeli settlements, which has been a point of contention for these communities, making its borders and status a subject of international concern. IDF. Established shortly after the nation's founding, the Israeli Defense Forces, commonly abbreviated as IDF, is the state of Israel's official military. It's responsible for safeguarding Israel's national security, defending its borders, and protecting its citizens. It includes branches for land, air, and sea, in addition to its specialized units. The IDF is a conscript military, meaning that all Israeli citizens are required to complete military service, although some exceptions to service do exist. The IDF is known for its modern and well-equipped military and plays a pivotal role in the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Hamas is a Palestinian Islamist group with political and military wings. Hamas is designated as a terrorist organization by multiple countries, including Israel, the United States, the European Union, and others. It originated as a Palestinian spin-off of the Muslim Brotherhood in 1987 at the beginning of the first Palestinian Intifada, or uprising, which we'll learn about more later. The group gained legislative control of the Gaza Strip in the 2006 parliamentary elections, but it mounted an armed takeover in 2007 of the Gaza Strip. Its charter, the Hamas Covenant, includes calls for the destruction of Israel and the establishment of an Islamic state in historic Palestine. Now that we have a shared understanding of these terms, we're ready to explore the history, its intricacies, and the ongoing dynamics of Israel and Palestine in greater depth before delving back into recent events. As we embark on this exploration, Keep in mind that it is an immensely complex narrative filled with historical nuances and shaped by powerful forces. Okay, now let's get started. As we all know by now, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is one of the world's most enduring and contentious struggles. 
It predates the establishment of Israel in 1948. As we plunge into the depths of this story, it's crucial to comprehend the conflict's origins. It unfolds in a land with profound spiritual significance for the three major monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. This land, which should unite people through faith and peace, has instead been marred by historical and political forces leading to strife and division. The conflict can be oversimplified as a clash of Israeli security demands in a region they've long perceived as hostile, juxtaposed with a Palestinian aspiration for a state of their own, thus creating competing claims to the land historically known as Palestine, which, like we said earlier, lies between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, which is a region that is sacred to both communities. Although the conflict's roots stretch back centuries, even millennia, the core of today's struggle sparks in the early 20th century as powerful nationalist movements among Jews and Arabs clashed, each seeking the autonomy of their people in the Middle East and vying for the sovereignty over the same land after major shifts in global power dynamics. However, it's a labyrinth by narrative with every historical detail fiercely debated by both sides. Their mirrored goals may seem straightforward, yet they're extraordinarily challenging to attain. In the centuries since, the region has witnessed wars, uprisings, and fleeting moments of hope for compromise. Today, it remains fraught with tension and conflict, casting a long shadow over global peace efforts. The events that have shaped this perilous situation are blurred by intense controversy surrounding the question of Palestine, underscored by passionate arguments and dissent from both sides. The Palestinian question, a phrase with profound implications, first emerged on the world stage in the aftermath of World War I, but the story runs deeper, holding echoes of centuries past. Since the dawn of the 16th century, the region of Palestine laid firmly in the grip of the Ottoman Empire, a dominion that spanned centuries. But in the early 19th century, the tides of World War I were upon us. And in the early 20th century, the tides of World War I brought seismic shifts in global power dynamics, placing this once Ottoman territory under the aegis of the British Empire. This shift, offered a glimmer of hope for Israelis and Palestinians, but it also set the stage for their fierce competition over sovereignty and self-determination. For Jews, Palestine held profound significance due to its deep ancestral ties. Simultaneously, Palestinian Arabs, who had resided in the region for generations and formed the population's majority, also held strong claims to the territory. In 1922, the League of Nations placed several former Ottoman territories, including Palestine, under British administration. Over time, each of these regions gained full independence, except for Palestine. During British rule, a significant wave of Jewish immigrants and refugees arrived in the region, especially during the 1920s to the 1940s. The influx intensified during World War II as Jewish people sought refuge from Nazi persecution and the horrors of the Holocaust. 
Amidst this backdrop, conflicting assurances further complicated the picture. During World War I, Britain and its allies sought Arab support against the Ottoman Empire, leading to agreements in 1915. While the Sheriff of Mecca, representing the Arabs, aimed for independence across Ottoman Arab territories, including Palestine, the British High Commissioner's attempts to exclude Palestine stirred controversy. And it wasn't until 1939 that the British government concedes this idea. Around the same time the British High Commissioner in Egypt was making promises to the Arabs, other distinguished members of the British government made separate assurances to the World Zionist Organization, who aimed to create a, quote, national home for Jews in Palestine, grounded in their ancestral ties to the Holy Land. This vision found support in what becomes known as the Balfour Declaration. In 1917, then-British Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour made a solemn promise in a letter addressed to the World Zionist Organization. This declaration of support became a cornerstone of the British mandate over Palestine and gained endorsement from the newly formed League of Nations. Naturally, the path forward wasn't without dissent. Arabs and even some Jewish communities raised concerns, including Sir Edward Montague, the sole Jewish member of the British cabinet who cited conflicts of loyalty with countries of citizenship. To quell Arab protests, an Anglo-French declaration reiterated the promises it made for a complete Arab independence of Ottoman territory. Yet the subsequent history of Palestine showed little regard for the wishes of its indigenous people. Their land was pledged to another group by a foreign government and gave no sovereign authority over Palestine as promised. As a result, several authorities have argued that the Balfour Declaration had no legal effect beyond expressing a government's intentions. Arab demands for independence and their resistance to immigration led to a rebellion in 1937, accompanied by ongoing terrorism and violence perpetrated by both sides. As violence between Jewish and Arab communities escalated, resistance against British rule also heated up. Then, in 1947, the UK turned the question of Palestine over to the now United Nations, who also tried grappling with the elusive task. The United Nations proposed Resolution 181, advocating a two-state solution, and this is a term that you'll hear a lot. It suggested the partition of Palestine into two separate sovereign states, one Arab and one Jewish, while designating Jerusalem, sacred to both of them, as an international city uncontrolled by either state. This proposal was accepted by Jewish leaders, but rejected by the Palestinians, who believed it favored the Jewish population, despite the Arabs' significant majority. The resolution passed, but was never implemented, leaving the Palestinian question unresolved once more. To gain a clearer picture, we'll move through a condensed timeline of events and key moments since 1948 that have defined this enduring conflict. 1948, Israeli statehood, the first Arab-Israeli war, and the Palestinian Nakba. In 1948, still unable to solve the problem, even with UN help, 
Britain ended its mandate and withdrew its administration over the territory. Despite Arab resistance, Jewish leaders declared the establishment of the State of Israel on May 14, 1948, under Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion. This move gained immediate recognition from the U.S. and the Soviet Union, stoking the flames that would ignite the Arab-Israeli conflict. As you can probably tell, the conflict had already been brewing for a long time. And the day after Israel's declaration of statehood, a coalition of Arab states attacked, igniting the outbreak of the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. The war ended in 1949 with Israel's victory, but the territory was divided into three parts, Israel, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. Jordan occupied the West Bank, while Egypt controlled Gaza. At the war's end, about 750,000 Palestinians were dispelled to neighboring regions like Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and the West Bank, often without a pathway to citizenship. Thus, Al-Nakba, or the catastrophe, was born, a cataclysmic event casting a shadow over the region. To this day, Israel has not allowed those Palestinians who sought refuge elsewhere, nor their descendants, to return home, sparking the concept of the Palestinians' quote, right to return. The Palestinians' displacement, known as Al-Nakba, is commemorated annually on Nakba Day by Palestinians worldwide. This day is marked by speeches, rallies, and the symbolic display of keys signifying the homes they one day hope to return to. The right of return remains a central demand for Palestinians, which they ground in UN Resolution 194. So, in December of 1948, which is about six months after the declaration of Jewish statehood and the Al-Nakba, the UN General Assembly passed Resolution 194, recognizing the right of Palestinians to return home, quote, at the earliest practicable date. Right of return is a common phrase that you will hear related to the question of Palestine. Israel, however, rejected this idea, considering it a threat to the safety of the Jewish state. While peace talks, though fleeting, have been considered, a comprehensive resolution remains elusive to this day, and the Nakba continues to cast its shadow over the region. About one year later, with their resolution being rejected, the UN General Assembly responded by establishing the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, the UNRWA, for Palestine refugees in the Near East to support those displaced. As a quick note, the term Near East has fallen out of favor and is typically replaced with the term Middle East, which denotes the same territories. As we move through these decades of history, Keep the United Nations Relief and Works Agency in the back of your minds as it will become important again later. In the decades following Israel's establishment in 1948, the region continued to witness these ongoing tensions, especially between Israel and its neighbors Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. These conflicts, collectively known as the Arab-Israeli conflicts, persisted for almost two decades. One notable event during this period was the 1956 Suez Crisis. October 1956, the Suez Canal Crisis. 
From the mid-20th century on, the region continued to be embroiled in a series of conflicts leading us to the October 1956 Suez Crisis, when tensions flared in the Middle East once more. This flare surrounded conflicts over the Straits of Tiran as Egypt's president nationalized the Suez Canal, disrupting vital shipping routes for Israel. In a consequential move, Israel launched an invasion into the Sinai Peninsula and the Gaza Strip, both of which were controlled by Egypt at the time, and they eventually bring Britain and France into the war alongside them. The international community intervened, and by the end of January 1957, Israel withdrew from Egyptian territory except for the Gaza Strip and the area around the Gulf of Aqaba arguing that Gaza Strip had never belonged to Egypt in the first place, heating the embers of regional tension. This conflict was one of several ongoing struggles leading up to the war in 1967. As we move forward into the late 1960s and beyond, the Middle East remained a region on edge. June 1967, the Six-Day War. Fast forward to June 1967, the Six-Day War erupted, unfolding after a continued series of escalating tensions. Israel's earlier invasion of the Sinai Peninsula in 1956 had set the stage for Egypt, Jordan, and Syria to sign mutual defense pacts. In response, Israel launched a series of preemptive attacks against Egyptian airfields and other facilities, catching Egypt by surprise, demolishing their aerial assets, and gaining complete air supremacy. The results of this war were significant. Israel ultimately made major territorial gains, seizing the Gaza Strip and the Sinai Peninsula from Egypt, the Golan Heights from Syria, and the West Bank, which included East Jerusalem, from Jordan. This consequentially brought more than a million Palestinians under Israeli rule, while another few hundred thousand fled, further escalating the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Following Israel's territorial gains, the UN Security Council passed Resolution 242, which called for the withdrawal of Israeli troops from these occupied lands. Israel, however, did not comply, leaving the conflict unresolved. In the years following, Israel established Jewish settlements on Palestinian territory that they occupied in the 1967 Arab-Israeli War, and this still remains a source of dispute between Israel, the international community, and the Palestinians today. Simultaneously, the issue of Jewish settlements is also among the most contentious between Israel and the Palestinians. The Palestinians have long called for the removal of all settlements, arguing that their presence on the land that they claim for a future independent Palestinian state makes it almost impossible to make such a state a reality. The issue of Israeli settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem remains a contentious international matter with differing opinions on their legality. The aftermath of the Six-Day War did not usher in an era of lasting peace. Instead, sporadic violence continued to mar the landscape. In the years before, during, and after this war, the region was marked by a series of violent exchanges. A cycle of tit-for-tat violence became the unfortunate norm, 
and both sides of the conflict, Israel and Palestine, engaged in this deadly back and forth. Today, Israel still occupies the West Bank and now claims all of Jerusalem as its capital, while Palestinians seek East Jerusalem as the capital of a future sovereign state. Though numbers have grown since, as of 2019, over 600,000 Jews lived across 140 settlements built since Israel's occupation of these areas in 1967. Despite international calls for Israel to withdraw from these occupied territories, as we know, the conflict remains unresolved. The settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem are widely considered illegal under international law, a stance that's supported by the United Nations and the United Kingdom among almost everybody else. In fact, as of 2008, every government in the world, except for Israel, adopted the UN Security Council's position of illegality, though Israel has always disputed this. But in November of 2019, the Trump administration shifted the U.S. official position on Israeli settlements in the occupied West Bank, no longer viewing them as inconsistent with international law, quote, per se. Nonetheless, based on the result of numerous UN resolutions that say Article 49 of the Geneva Convention, the remaining international consensus continues to maintain that these Israeli settlements are illegal and in violation of international law. The hopes for lasting peace under a two-state solution brought back into light after the UN's calls for Israeli withdrawal of the settlements remains elusive. The situation was far more complex than diplomatic words on paper could resolve. Tensions remained high, the promise of reconciliation felt distant, and the cycle of tit-for-tat violence continued. In September 1972, the world watched in horror as Palestinian extremists from the Black September group carried out a tragic terrorist attack on the Munich Summer Olympics, killing two Israeli athletes and taking nine more as hostages who were also killed shortly thereafter. Amidst the contentious violence and chaos, the 1972 terrorist attack on the Munich Olympics set the stage for the conflict's next major war in the following year. This brings us to the Arab-Israeli War of 1973, also dubbed the Yom Kippur War or the October War. War erupted when an Arab coalition led by Egypt and Syria, supported by the Soviet Union, launched a coordinated attack on Israel during Yom Kippur, a sacred Jewish holiday. The war not only ended in massive casualties on both sides, but it also drew the United States into the fray, providing support that proved crucial to Israel during a pivotal moment in the region's turbulent history. After some deliberation, the U.S. provided Israel with a full-scale airlift of military equipment, enabling an Israeli counteroffensive that staved off Arab forces. 1974, PLO recognition. Rewinding quickly to 1964, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or the PLO, was founded in Cairo, Egypt. Returning back now to 1974, a year after the Yom Kippur War, 
the Arab League recognized the PLO as the sole representative of the Palestinian people. The PLO also became recognized as the negotiating Palestinian party in the Oslo Accords, which we'll get to shortly. Since its establishment, the PLO had pursued armed means in its attempts to achieve Palestinian liberation until its classification as a terrorist organization by both Israel and the United States in the 1990s. In the years before, during, and after, sporadic violence continued to be waged by actors from both sides of the conflict, still continuing its tit-for-tat tactics. March 30th, 1976, Land Day. March 30th, 1976, marks a significant moment etched into the collective memory of the Palestinian people. A series of land confiscations by Israeli authorities ignited uprisings, strikes, and a wave of violence across the region, from the Sea of Galilee to the Negev. During these confrontations between the Israeli forces and Arab citizens, tragedy unfolded. Six unarmed Arab citizens lost their lives. Around 100 were wounded, and hundreds were arrested. This etched March 30th into the Palestinian memory as Land Day, transcending the borders of Israel and Palestinian territory and finding resonance in the hearts of Palestinians worldwide. This date also holds significance in the broader context of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It demarks a critical moment in the ongoing struggle for land and the evolving relationship between Arab citizens and the Israeli state. What sets this moment apart is that it marked the first instance since 1948 that Arabs in Israel came together in a collective response to Israeli policies as an inherent part of their Palestinian identity. A glimmer of hope for Middle East peace emerged in September of 1978 when both the Israeli Prime Minister and the Egyptian president met with U.S. President Jimmy Carter at Camp David in Maryland, brokering what's known as the Camp David Accords. This landmark event cast a beacon of hope over the tumultuous history of the Middle East when a 1979 peace treaty ended a bitter 30-year conflict between Egypt and Israel. The momentous achievement earned its signatories the Nobel Peace Prize. But the glimmers of hope soon dimmed. A crucial aspect of the Accords, which dealt with the future of the disputed Palestinian territories, drew criticism from the UN for lacking Palestinian representation. Remember, it was the Egyptian president and the prime minister of Israel meeting. While the Accords heralded peace between Egypt and Israel, prompting Israel's withdrawal from the Sinai Peninsula, they couldn't quite stitch up all the loose ends, and yet again, left the age-old question of Palestine unanswered. Although they outlined a framework for Palestinian self-governance in the West Bank and Gaza, and though they may have agreed in principle to allow for Palestinian self-rule in the occupied territories, again, this aspect was never implemented. In 1982, then-President Ronald Reagan aimed to give the Middle East peace process a, quote, fresh start. He envisioned full Palestinian autonomy under some form of Jordanian supervision for those living in the Israeli-occupied West Bank and Gaza Strip. Israel rejected this proposal, and peace again hung in the balance. 
1982, the siege of Beirut, Lebanon. 1982 was a turbulent chapter in the Arab-Israeli conflict. When a ceasefire imposed by the United Nations collapsed in the midst of a Lebanese civil war, it led to months-long siege of Beirut, Lebanon by Israeli forces. Echoes of the past, the decisions made, the promises extended, and the wars waged, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict remained firmly on the world stage. Back in the early 1970s, the PLO had established its main base in Beirut following conflicts in Jordan. The presence of PLO in Lebanon culminated in the occupation of Lebanon by peacekeeping forces from various Arab nations, including Syria. In the following years, the Syrian and PLO presidents in Lebanon grew, effectively undermining the control of the official Lebanese government. Tensions escalated with artillery and rocket attacks launched against Israel. In response, Israel conducted airstrikes into Lebanon, and in 1978 initiated a military invasion into southern Lebanon called Operation Latani. In 1978, and again in 1981, and again in early 1982, the United Nations facilitated ceasefires resulting in Israeli troop withdrawals. But in 1982, Israel reinvaded Lebanon after the attempted assassination of one of its ambassadors in London, despite the attack being carried out by a faction unrelated to the PLO. The two-month-long siege resulted in the expulsion of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, from the city of Beirut and eventually from Lebanon entirely. As the violence continued, the year 1984 saw further tragic events. In November, Israeli troops were involved in a confrontation at Birzit University in the Israeli-occupied West Bank. One Palestinian youth lost his life and six others were wounded. Then, in December 1986, two years later, Birzit University became the site of another incident, stoking tensions. Israeli soldiers killed two Palestinian students and injured at least 11 others while attempting to disperse a demonstration outside the university. These incidents, set against the backdrop of ongoing violence and unrest, stand as potent reminders of the deep-seated tensions in the Middle East tensions that continue to reverberate through history. December 1987, the first intifada. As we know, the region was no stranger to turmoil. Even though the Camp David Accords improved relations between Israel and its neighbors, the question of Palestinian self-determination and self-governance continued to go unanswered. Decades of frustrations and tension between the Israeli government and the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza Strip created a volatile environment. As tensions flared, the first intifada, or the first Palestinian uprising, ignited. The immediate catalyst is difficult to pinpoint, but experts often point to a tragic incident when an IDF truck collided with a car carrying four Palestinian civilians. But make no mistake, this was not merely about a traffic incident. It was fueled by years of Palestinian discontent stemming from the 20 years of Israeli military occupation that followed the Six-Day War in 1967. The first intifada was a response to the heavy-handed Israeli repression, 
beatings, shootings, home demolitions, forced displacements, deportations, and lengthy imprisonments without trial. Reaching a boiling point, Palestinians took to the streets and their voices echoed across the West Bank and Gaza with clear demands for freedom. Palestinians who were armed often used rocks and Molotov cocktails against the might of Israel's state-of-the-art technology supplied by its Western allies. Amidst the protests and calls for self-determination, Israel's response was swift and severe, instituting harsh military crackdowns and deploying a staggering 80,000 troops into the West Bank and Gaza Strip. The loss of life continued to plague the region. In the first year alone, 12 Israelis were killed and a recorded 332 Palestinians were killed by Israeli Defense Forces. The Oslo Accords. The 1980s were turbulent, marked by the First Intifada, a Palestinian uprising protesting Israeli occupation. Negotiations, ceasefires, and plans for peace came and went, but the conflict showed no signs of abating. Fast forward to the early 90s after years of turbulence and ongoing tension. It's now 1993, and something pretty remarkable is happening. The PLO, which had been recognized by both Israel and the United States as the Palestinian negotiating partner, are sitting down with Israel to negotiate peace, which will go on to become the Oslo Accords 1 and 2. Now you may be thinking, what's the big deal with Oslo 1? Well, this momentous event comes the closest to answering the question of Palestine that the world had ever seen. For the first time, the newly established Palestinian Authority, or the PA, was given a role in governing these territories, and Israel began withdrawing its troops from areas that had long been considered occupied. In 1995, we get Oslo II. These accords expanded on the first agreement and mandated a complete Israeli withdrawal from six cities and 450 towns across the West Bank, which was a big step forward for Palestinian aspirations. However, there's always a caveat. While the accords did give Palestinians more autonomy, the accords didn't grant them full statehood, yet again leaving that part of the question unanswered. The issue of Israeli settlements cropping up in the West Bank remains a sticking point today, and Jerusalem, the Holy Land, a disputed city, continues to be a contentious focal point. Both Palestinians and Israelis lay claim to it as their capital. As a result, Hamas strongly opposed the Oslo Accords and expressed its dissatisfaction through a tragic series of suicide bombings in Israel. It is at this time that we see Hamas take its place on the world stage as a prominent player in the question of Palestine. In the turbulent years that followed the signing of the Oslo Accords, the Israeli-Palestinian peace process faced a series of challenges and setbacks that would shape the path to peace in the region. November 1995 brought a tragic turning point when Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, a key architect of the Oslo Accords, was assassinated by Yigal Amir, an Israeli who opposed the peace agreement on religious grounds. Rabin's murder sent shockwaves through the region and beyond, eroding the peace process and igniting yet another resurgence of violence. Israel held elections in May 1996, one year after Oslo II, 
leading to the rise of Benjamin Netanyahu as the new prime minister. Netanyahu came from the Likud party, which had traditionally opposed the idea of a Palestinian state and the withdrawal from occupied territories. Fearing that the peace process might collapse under the new leadership, the United States, led by then-President Bill Clinton, ramped up its involvement in the Israeli-Palestinian negotiations. In October 1998, President Clinton played host to Netanyahu and Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat at a summit in Y River, Maryland, where they negotiated an agreement for further Israeli withdrawals from the West Bank. However, internal disagreements over the implementation of what's known as the Y Memorandum led to the fall of Netanyahu's government in January 1999. Israelis went to the polls once again in May 1999, resulting in a decisive victory for the Labor Party's Ayud Barak. Barak's election brought new hope for the peace process. He made ambitious promises, vowing to reach agreements with Syria and the Palestinians within a year or so and committed to withdrawing Israeli troops from southern Lebanon. Following initial rounds of negotiations, December saw the Palestinians suspend talks in response to continued Israeli settlement building in the occupied territories, signaling a frustrating impasse. Israeli Prime Minister Ayyub Barak then turned his attention instead to peace talks with Syria. In January 2000, Delegations from Israel, Syria, and the United States convened in West Virginia. However, these negotiations also stumbled when Barak refused to affirm his predecessor Robin's commitment to withdraw to the pre-1967 borders. He argued that concessions from the Syrian delegation were not final since the Syrian president, Hafez al-Assad, was absent. Later, though, Barak did withdraw Israeli forces from Lebanon and then returned to the Palestinian track. In July 2000, at Barak's urging, President Clinton organized a summit at Camp David, where they and Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat attempted to reach a final agreement concerning the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. These talks were marked by stark disagreements over issues such as borders, Jerusalem, and the recognition of the right of return for Palestinian refugees. However, this summit also concluded without a resolution. And so, at this juncture in history, significant steps have been taken toward a solution, but the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is far from over and its complexities continue to shape the destiny of the region. The road to peace remains rocky and fraught with obstacles. All right, listeners, so this wraps up our condensed journey through the 20th century, but the story is far from over. Tune in to part two as we delve into the complex history of the 21st century and today's ongoing developments. Parts one and two were made available simultaneously for your exploration, so you can jump back in right away. To stay updated, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube and Spotify and follow us on social media at TheRealDeal underscore pod. Again, that's TheRealDeal underscore pod. I'm eager to hear your thoughts on this matter, so please leave us a comment or drop us a DM.